I always knew I'd have kids. I just never intended to become a mother. I'm Dr. Lee Birch, and this is the Rockstar Parent Podcast. I'm a chiropractor, educator, life coach, and mom, although not necessarily in that order. Everyone has their own journey into motherhood. This podcast is devoted to telling my story and sharing what I've found to be successful along the way. Episode 30, How to Become a Rockstar Parent, Even If You Start Out Thinking, You Are Practically Perfect Already. I used to think I was the perfect parent, and then I had kids. You might have been one of those people too, the ones who go to restaurants and say to each other, when we have our own kids, we won't ever let them get down and run around the tables. They are also the ones who are in the grocery store and think to themselves, when I have my own kids, I won't ever open up the box of cookies in the store and have to bribe them to behave. And they're also the ones whose kids will never throw sand at the beach, pick up anything off the floor and put it in their mouths, and will sleep through the night from day one. I'd like to think I wasn't one of those people, but honestly, I probably was. I'm pretty sure I thought that I was so amazing that I would have all the answers to every parenting challenge just spring to my head and I would execute it perfectly. After all, I already had so many good ideas for my friends and family members who had kids. Well, then I had kids. I think one of those first challenges that brought me to my knees was breastfeeding. I mean, how could something that was supposedly so natural be so incredibly awkward? Why would I need a specialist to help me understand how my child latches on properly. I mean, we weren't even into the milk production part yet, and there were already issues. And the parenting challenges, well, they just keep coming, don't they? I also feel like just when I get the hang of handling single kid challenges, we added another kid to the mix. It took a little time for me to realize that all of those amazing solutions I came up with that worked with my first kid were not going to automatically work with my second kid, and I was right back at square one. After the birth of my second kid, I also realized there was an aspect within the relationships in our family that I hadn't even considered that would also present challenges. I mean, there was the relationship between me and my oldest kid, and then the relationship between my husband and our oldest kid, and then there were the relationships between me and my second kid and my husband and my second kid, but there was also now a relationship between my two kids. See, the lines were no longer linear, and the triangle thing was freaking me out a bit. 
Now, just when we found our equilibrium with two kids, we added a third. And that really threw us for a loop because now we were outnumbered. We realized very quickly that inviting that fun aunt or grandma to go places with us was very helpful. And I vividly remember the first time I ventured out with all three of the kids on my own. They were four and a half, two and a half, and one month old at the time. Just getting all their shoes on and safely buckled into their car seats was already exhausting. And at that point, I also still had two in diapers. So as I was going through my mental checklist, I had to make sure I remembered both sizes of diapers in the diaper bag. Now, when I got to the store and parked, I quickly realized that I would have the infant carrier in one hand and that only left one more hand free to hang on to one other kid. Did I really have to choose which kid I wouldn't hang on to in a parking lot? How did I get myself into this situation? And why was I thinking I could handle this? Well, in what was a stroke of sheer luck in my sleep-deprived state, or I'm not going to rule out that it was inspiration from a higher power, I realized that I could leverage the power of the shopping cart before I actually entered the store. The infant carrier and one kid could be in the cart, and then the third kid could hold onto the cart or even to me while I was navigating through the parking lot. Now, I also remember telling my kids that cars don't have eyes, so we needed to watch out for them and not the other way around. So for sure, we'd all have our head on a swivel. Those were the days, right? It was a strange mix of feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and frustrated. But not to say they weren't good days. They were. Somehow we managed to find the joy in each of the stages of parenthood also. And there were so many amazing moments of joy through the years. It starts out with just hearing those baby belly laughs and then watching them learn to roll over and crawl and walk and then run, seeing the world through their eyes as they discovered new things. All the way through and even up into the teenage years, there's so much goodness in parenting. And I've been known to say that just when I really, really started liking my kids, they graduated from high school and went off to college. I don't want to leave the impression that they weren't likable before, they were. It's just an observation about how much fun having a house full of teenagers can be. And challenging, but that isn't the part that surprised anybody. I guess what happened to me was that I thought I had my crap together. And then I had kids. And I went through a phase where I felt like I didn't really have a handle on anything anymore but I slowly got my feet underneath me. I've been humbled quite a bit over the years as I found myself telling my kids not to throw sand at the beach and opening that box of cookies in the grocery store. By the way, one day I thought I was so smart because I told my kids they could eat a banana in the grocery store instead of cookies. What a healthy choice. And then when we got to the checkout counter, 
I remembered that you pay for bananas by weight. So that made for an awkward conversation with the cashier. It is near impossible to try to find three more bananas that are the exact weight of the ones your kids already ate to try to estimate the cost. Well, from that point on, I stuck with donuts or boxes of cookies. Because the stuff you purchase by quantity or the stuff that has a barcode is the easiest way to go at the checkout stand. Well, day by day, overcoming challenge after challenge and celebrating the little wins along the way is how I allowed myself to think I was doing a pretty dang adequate job at parenting. Not over the top stellar job, but adequate. And it's funny because the checkpoints we use to measure our success as parents are just so skewed. If my kid is the star of the basketball team, then I must be an all-star parent, right? And if my kid earns all A's on their report card, then I must be an A-plus parent, right? Well, if those success measures are accurate, then the reversed must also be accurate. If my kid is the worst player on the basketball team, then I'm the worst parent in the stands. And if my kid is failing school, then I must be a failure as a parent. You see, when we turn it around like that, we immediately realize that those classifications are not accurate. We know that our child failing a test could be due to so many factors that have nothing to do with us as parents at all. In fact, how many of you have gone through that dang spelling list with your elementary school student a million times the entire week and night before the test? And they still didn't pass it. I mean, it's easy to reason our way out of being the worst parent ever. But yet we still fall into the trap of at least wanting to believe that we are the reason behind our kids' successes as well. Let's just stop this spiral before it spins too far out of control. Does what you do as a parent contribute to the successes and failures of your kids? Of course it does, million percent. Is it also a multifaceted process? Of course it is. But can you measure your success or level of failure as a parent by how many goals your kid scores in their soccer game as an eight-year-old? Of course you can't. So what then is a more accurate reflection of the job that we are doing as a parent? No matter how many times I'm asked by a new parent what they can do to be a good parent, I always answer the same way. I tell them that the fact that they even care enough about being a good parent to be asking the question is the first step in becoming one. But because that doesn't always satisfy their entire inquiry, I've assembled a list of five indicators as pulled together by child psychologists to set up a parenting rubric. Now, this isn't meant to be a comprehensive or the final word on the subject of good parenting. I'm just throwing out some indicators based upon criteria the experts agree upon. And those things are good signs that good things are happening in your home. 
So here's the list. Number one, you've messed up. You've handled situations badly and you're pretty sure your kids are going to need therapy later to undo some of the damage that you've caused. Now, as much as this doesn't sound like good parenting, it is. Because even handling something poorly means you tried to handle it at all. You showed up. And knowing there are probably better ways to do things the next time means you're open to learning and you're committed to progressing. Progress, not perfection, is the first sign of good parenting. And by the way, children are very forgiving when you apologize for not handling things as well as you could have if they sense that you really mean it. Number two, you've given up some bad habits to be able to set a good example. Now, if you've ever stopped yourself from saying a swear word in front of your kids, or you've started eating more vegetables, or you sat down at the table to help your kids with homework after dinner instead of turning on the TV, then you know what I'm talking about. If you're sacrificing, but you don't really feel like it's that big of a sacrifice at all, then chances are you're doing some good things there. Number three, your kids make good choices even when you are not around. I remember a mom calling me after finishing a volunteer shift in the cafeteria at our kids' high school. She let me know that during lunch, a not-so-popular boy handed a note to a popular girl. The note got passed around the popular kids' table, and then there was clearly some mocking of that boy going on after that. The mom was calling to tell me that she saw my son get up and go over to that boy, put his arm around him, and say something privately to him. The boy had smiled and then walked happily out of the cafeteria after that exchange with my son. And then my son walked back over to the table, changed the subject of conversation, and finished his lunch. She didn't know what my kid had said or even what happened after that, but she thought I would want to know what she had observed. I thanked her for taking the time to share that with me. And I also shot a text to my kid and asked him what he said to that boy. He was very confused how I even knew anything about it at all since one, it had just happened and two, he hadn't even seen me there. You see parents, this is the part where you can reinforce to your kids that you do in fact have eyes everywhere and also that they are so capable of doing amazing things in this world. If your kids are taking what you taught them about being good humans and running with it, then you know they're listening to you. And if they're listening to you, chances are you're probably saying and doing some really good things. Number four, your kids have gotten mad at you. Now that first time your toddler looks at you and says, I don't like you, mommy, or I don't like you, daddy. Well, it hurts. And when your elementary school kid looks at you and says, but all the other parents are saying yes. And when your teenager looks at you and says, you're ruining my life. It also might hurt. Well, it, it probably doesn't hurt as much anymore because you've gotten used to the negative feedback. But 
it also means you are setting boundaries, standing your ground, and enforcing consequences. You're saying yes to your kids, and when necessary, you're saying no and sticking with it. Limits and boundaries are good for children, even if they don't like it. If your rules occasionally make your kids unhappy, then you are doing something right. And number five, when you tell your child that you love them, they show you that they already know it. Now, this might seem to go against the social norm of I love you etiquette. I know that when you say, I love you, the other person is supposed to say, I love you too, back to you. But I liked to ask my kids, have I told you today how much I love you? And I loved hearing them answer me. Yes, mom, you told me that already. Good, I would think to myself. And then I would say it again. There are times when I tell my kids I love them and they say it back to me. But there are also times when I tell my kids I love them and they smile with their entire body, not just their mouth. And they say, I know. And maybe they're going a little Han Solo on me there, but it's all good. Because if they know that I love them, then they also know I am their safe space. They can come to me with the good stuff and the bad stuff. They know I'm their sounding board, their shoulder to cry on, their biggest fan, and their person, all rolled up into one. Now, it's completely normal for them to develop friendships and ultimately meet and fall in love and join their lives with someone else who will become their person when they're adults. But in the meantime, it gets to be us as their parent. And while they are with us, we get to show them what it's like to be loved and to show love back in healthy and positive and fulfilling ways. So if your kids know they're loved, you are definitely doing something right. Now, when I came up with this concept of being a rock star parent, it wasn't because I think I am one, but it's because I knew I tried and I'm still trying. And that right there is the secret sauce. Trying, learning, growing, failing, apologizing, learning some more, trying more, doing more, and gaining more experience and wisdom. I'm not ever sure there will come a day when I will think to myself, whew, I have arrived at rock star parent status. I feel fairly confident though, that I will never stop trying. I've heard it said that the most important work that you will ever do will be the work you do within the walls of your own home. I believe that. And I also believe that poem entitled, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World. Now I know the original poem is about mothers, but there's no doubt it applies to fathers as well. 
Our influence in our children's lives is immeasurable. And that fact sort of scares me a bit more now than it ever did when my kids were little. It's only over time that I've seen how deep my influence goes. Just last night, we were on a video chat with my married son and his wife. And he said something about closing vents in rooms that no one uses to keep the cool air going to the rooms they were using. And my husband and I, we both had to smile because we know exactly where our son saw that done before. It's just a simple example, but it points to the fact that my husband and my footprints are all over the way my kids think, the words they say, the things they do, and the way they see the world. Not that I take credit or blame because they all have so elegantly and so completely put their own unique stamp on who they are as people. But I've come to look at it this way when figuring out how I can rock the parenting gig. It's a metaphor that is originally attributed to Bernard of Chartres, a 12th century philosopher, and then made famous by the scientist Sir Isaac Newton in the 17th century. And in our time, the famous physicist Stephen Hawking also wrote a book with the title, and it's this. If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Now, to me, that means that I am the person, the parent I am today, because of the sacrifices and love of my own parents, who in turn are who they are because of the influence of their parents and so on. Bernard points out that we see more and farther than our predecessors because we are lifted up by their strength and their stature. And my hope for my own kids is that they are even better parents than I tried to be. My parents carried the ball down the field and handed it off to me. And then I carried it down the field a little further and will someday hand the ball to my kids when they have kids of their own. Becoming a rock star parent means you are better today than you were yesterday and that you inspired your kids and gave them the tools they needed to become rock star humans and then rock star parents themselves for the next generation. I might have thought I was a perfect parent before I had kids, but now I know perfection was never the goal. It was about waking up and rocking the parenting gig today, and then the day after that, and the day after that. And I know you can too. I just want to mention I'm taking a little break from the podcast for a while. I've been working on compiling all of my podcast episodes into a book and adding even more strategies and tools in there too. So watch for that to be coming out in the next few months. And after I get that published, we'll be back at it right here on the Rockstar Parent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rockstar Parent Podcast, please consider leaving a review and sharing the link with your friends. Remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast as well, so you'll be the first to get notified as soon as new episodes are published. I'm just a girl who was ready to start her family, so I got pregnant and had a baby. 
But what I learned as I raised my own kids, that is the secret to becoming the parent I dreamed I could be and is exactly what I'm sharing with you. Let's rock this parenting thing together.